Doctor said you got PCOS. Now go on, girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian to help my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong and take control of yourself. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast again. We love having your insight about mental health and PCOS. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me back, guys. I'm so happy to be back here. Do you want to give us a little brief introduction about your PCOS journey with mental health? Sure. For anyone who hasn't listened to the previous episodes where we've had you on. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, I have a PCOS diagnosis myself. Um, I find that when I'm really managing my symptoms, my mental health is definitely much better. And for sure, if I'm not thinking about the physical components and so the sorts of things that you guys talk about a lot, right, like the nutritional aspect, the movement aspect, um, if I'm just thinking, if I'm somehow divorcing that from our whole being, right, because I think sometimes we do like to do that, like physical health versus mental health, right? Like it's all connected. And when I am just maybe focused on mental health, but not thinking about my physical body, for sure, I struggle with my mental health. So um, as somebody who is now, you know, a therapist in the field and works with people who struggle with PCOS, but also a whole slew of things, I find that really thinking about what are the underlying causes that could also be contributing to my mental health from a physical standpoint is so incredibly important and valuable, especially in people with PCOS, just because of the nature of the types of imbalances that occur hormonally and how they are really directly correlated to feelings of anxiety and depression. So for sure, it's been a road, but um, kind of learning some of these guideposts about nutrition, uh, movement, wellness has definitely been super helpful in sort of feeling like you're getting a leg up each time you sort of cycle through um, the symptoms or peaks and valleys of the journey. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And just so everybody knows too, Lauren's making the ultimate sacrifice. She's currently on her lunch break and doing this podcast for us. So we're going to make <laughs> sure that we give her some time to enjoy her lunch too as well. But thank you, Lauren, for like being here while, you know, while you're working as a therapist and finding time to do this in between your breaks. Yeah, of course. It really means a lot to me to give back, you know, as somebody who also is in this community, you know, I'm part of the sisterhood, the whole thing, you know, it's really nice to um, be able to kind of give back. Thank That's you. awesome. Thank you. I think this is going to be a really beneficial episode because like you said, having PCOS and a hormonal imbalance can trigger anxiety, depression, and 40% of women with PCOS experience depression and anxiety, and many of them experience eating disorders. And so um, it goes hand in hand. And with that being said, sometimes when you're not able to see progress with your symptoms, even though you're like changing your diet and lifestyle, I mean, these things take time and a lot of investigation. It can take a toll on your mental health. And for everyone who's listening in this episode, we're going to cover how to manage um, that kind of anxiety mm -hmm. that comes with PCOS so that it doesn't consume you and so that you can rise above it. And, you know, even though you have a hormonal imbalance, which you are probably doing your best to manage in the meantime, you know, those physical change, those physical issues like hair growth that can affect self-esteem, like fertility that can bring on sadness and anxiety, all of these issues, these symptoms that can trigger negative emotions, 
you know, what can we do to manage it? And that's what we're going to cover in this episode. So Lauren, tell us what to do. <laughs> so hard question. To ask. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but imagine like a lot of people listening are probably struggling day to day with like feeling blue about. Let's create an example. Let's create an example. Let's say Italian woke up this morning. I can tell you. Yeah. Go for it. Make up the scenario. I can. I don't even have to make it up. This was just 10 years ago. (laughs) You know what I mean? I looked in the close up mirror and my skin looked horrific. Like in that mirror, I couldn't even believe it. I didn't even know it because in college, we had such bad lighting in the bathrooms, like who even was looking at themselves until I went to Nordstrom. And so my heart sank. And to this day, I remember how awful that was. So, you know, from your expertise, where do you go from there? Like now you feel blue and now you're like kind of crippled with like, oh, this is never going to go away. I can't even imagine what my face would look like if I didn't have acne because I'm just so used to seeing the acne. How do you get yourself out of that and bring yourself to a point where you are empowered? I think you set yourself with a really uh, up with a great scenario because I also feel like just in general, certain mirrors and all different things, right. Can cause us to look differently. I find like whenever I'm in my car, I'm always like, Oh my gosh, I have like another chin hair, right? Like certain mirrors, certain lighting, like you never know, right. What's going on. But for sure in those moments, I think a telltale sign that we're actually in fight or flight, or we're having a moment of anxiety is that we're going to the worst case scenario and that we can't see a different way. Right. Cause I think you're right. Like in that moment, looking in the mirror, or for anybody who's working on these symptoms and is really having a hard time imagining improvement or like progress because they've been trying so hard. I think it's important for them to know that like, if I'm sitting here and I really can't think of a future, like a different reality for myself, most likely I'm probably in fight or flight. And that's probably not an accurate mirror for like really my life or who I am, right? Because a balanced perspective would be one that says, hey, right now, this is hard right now. Yeah, I am still struggling with this, but there's time and ways that I can manage this that will help me improve in the future, right? But but, but there's certainly times in our life, like again, when we are having anxiety, when we are depressed, when our nervous system is dysregulated like that, that we actually can't, we really can't think of those scenarios. So I think if people can get used to tracking like their nervous system response to things like that, it can help them improve in their ability to catch themselves in a moment and question, like rather than going with those thoughts of dread, question like, is this even a true thought? Um, Mm -hmm. Is this a perspective or is this just a sign that I should pause and return to my body and breath? Mm -hmm. But you know, something I think is interesting is that when we do have those symptoms, they make us sometimes not want to be in this body, right? Like this PCOS body, right? Like if we're struggling with, you know, hair loss, if we're struggling with weight gain, if we're struggling with whatever it is, right? Like fatigue, sometimes we don't want to be present here now in the body. And I think especially if we're like zeroing in and like staring at those specific parts of us, we can really get lost in like, well, who wants to return to their body and breath now when we just sort of looked in the mirror and labeled this not a good body or not a good person to be. And so I think that sometimes when we're noticing that we're having that reaction, just noticing that we're having that reaction is a good first step. And then from there, trying to figure out how can I not respond to this part of myself with anxiety? How can I try to respond with a loving response? Like my body's trying to tell me that it needs support here, right? Like our body's a messenger. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because 
and this this can apply to anyone too. Like when you when you, whenever a thought comes up that's negative, really questioning yourself to be like, is this actually true, or or am I just going down this rabbit hole because my mind is just running with thoughts? Because I think that's what happens a lot of times. Like you think a thought, and then you start to think two, three, four other thoughts, and then it just becomes like you spiral down this unfortunate like you know staircase where you just keep thinking all these bad thoughts, and you make yourself feel lesser than what you are. Yeah, I really like what you said about fight or flight mode and how when you can't imagine anything fixing and you can't imagine being better than this moment, you're in fight or flight mode and it's not real. And you're just painting this picture because of like the fight or flight mode itself. And there are things you can do to manage the fight or flight mode, which is more important than all the things you're going to do to manage the acne, like in that moment, at least. Because I know that's a lot, like seeing a lot of acne and any symptom, like it drives you towards habits that aren't fixing it, like buying a lot of makeup, constantly obsessing over like new foundation products, because you're looking for the one that's going to cover the acne up the best, which obviously feels good in that moment. But, you know, you're feeding into that anxiety as well. And you're not really like kind of empowering yourself to tackle the issue. Because I've seen this a lot. This is what I'm trying to explain. Where like we buy a lot of makeup or um, spend a lot of money on face washes or like do other things that aren't fixing the problem, whether it's diet change, lifestyle change, going to the doctor to help figure out if you have estrogen dominance, what supplements you need, like Ignoring the hard things and then doing something that will just like help you emotionally grasp the situation better. And it's not going to help you progress faster. And it's going to only make you feel better for a second. It's not going to fix the acne. And it's like if you can take yourself out of that fight or flight mode, you will be more empowered to call the doctor, get your lab work, figure out what's going on rather than go to Sephora, buy three different foundations, <laughs> try to cover it all up. You know, yeah. I saw a girl on, um, I forgot where it was. And she was like, I'm not wearing makeup anymore. I have acne. It is what it is. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to embrace it. And I'm not going to wear makeup. I'm not telling everyone to do this because I certainly wouldn't, but she did it. And I was like, good for you. Who's judging you? Like you're, you're struggling with a problem. Like what kind of mean person is going to judge you for it? You know, Yeah. at least you're doing something about it. Exactly. That's so true. And I think it's important because like what you're saying is like, sometimes when we make those choices, we are cover literally like covering up a situation versus like radically accepting the situation. And we can't really make any progress unless we sort of get closer to accepting like this is actually where I am. Right. Like, I don't know. Like, I think it, that buying the makeup covers it up. Right. But like maybe it prevents you from actually having to really look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, like I'm someone who's struggling and suffering. I deserve love as I am, like even before I buy the makeup, like I find that I imagine that in cycles like that, like you almost have to just keep buying more makeup and more other like other products and other things if you're not also like tending to that wound. And it reminds me, there's this term we use sometimes in um, mental health, which is the cycle of self-harm. I think it's really helpful, useful, because it really is a way to describe like unhealthy versus healthy coping skills people have. And I'm not saying that the makeup is unhealthy because it really depends on how you're doing it. But like, let's say someone is shopping 
because it's a good example. <laughs> let's just go with shopping. Um, shopping to like ease discomfort, right? Like, let's say they do look in the mirror and they are uncomfortable with whatever it is they're seeing and they want to buy a million and one things to try to feel better. Um, I buy a million and one plants. So I'm not like excluding myself from being this person. <laughs> we'll go to the plant store, like buy another crystal. Like I will be that person. But let's say we're doing that, right? Like I'm feeling bad and I'm like, I'm just going to go buy this thing, right? Like the idea is that you stay stuck in this cycle if that's how you're coping with the stress and no, and not using any other skill. Because when you buy the thing, you do feel immediately better. But then shortly after you like get the thing, oftentimes you're going to, you're still going to be stuck with that same pain. And sometimes that pain is going to be doubled because let's say it was a really expensive crystal, right? Or like a really expensive foundation. So now maybe you're feeling even worse because you're like, I really shouldn't have met, met, uh, spent that much money. So like you might even be dealing with more emotion after whatever the unhealthy coping skill was. And so then to deal with that pain, what are you going to do? You're going to do what you did at, at the beginning. Because you don't have other skills, right? Like that's often like a pattern people will stay in. And so I think, you know, if you can meet yourself with love and compassion and acceptance at the beginning, um, if you do still make those purchases, it's not going to be coming from a place of I'm running from myself or I'm running from the truth of where I am right now. Like I'm knowing that and then still choosing to do the thing. You're probably going to be less impulsive about it because you're not going to be at in fight or flight probably as much because you're not on the run, right? You're not running from the truth of this is what my face looks like right now. You're, you're embracing it and then acting from there, like, which is going to probably regulate you and bring you to a more balanced place. Yeah, yeah. totally. And is, are there like different meditative practices you would recommend when someone's in that situation, for example, like some sort of a breath work, some sort of a mind practice that someone can do that kind of snaps them out of that negative thought or helps them snap out of it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think in a moment, I think especially when we're dealing with something that's sort of chronic, like some of these hormonal imbalances, of course, people can like step out of them too. But like something that's somewhat ongoing. Um, I think that sometimes the body can feel like a place that is not home. But in order to find calm from anxiety, we need to figure out how the body is home for us, even when there's parts of it that we don't are having a hard time maybe accepting or loving. And so I think that in the moment, even that person just naming their feeling is really helpful. We know that when mm -hmm. someone names their feeling, it activates that prefrontal cortex. So like, even if someone looked in the mirror and they were noticing acne, since we've been using that example, and they were able to say, I'm feeling really discouraged about this. Like if they can name what's really going on and there might be a whole bunch of things. It could be discouraged. It could be um, upset. It could be ashamed, but like them naming it to themselves is one way of actually starting to be able to like tame the feeling. We have a term we call name it to tame it kind of is mm, what we call yeah. it. Like if they can name that, they're going to be a little bit more able to tame it. And even when we bring a hand to the body, so especially because our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight nervous system, is located in like the chest and shoulder area and the jaw, which is often why people are like hunching their shoulders and like their jaw, like they're clenching their jaw, right? Like if you can actually bring a hand to your heart or even a hand to your cheek, people often find that to be really grounding. And it's something pretty easy to do in that moment. And again, it's something that's sort of like for the nervous system is soothing. So I like to bring my hand to my heart because it's almost like when I do that, I feel like I'm steadying myself. I'm grounding myself. I'm sort of taking a step back. I'm like looking in the mirror. I'm seeing this thing, but I'm saying, hey, look, how do I actually feel when this is going on? And how can I put a hand to my heart to kind of ground me a little bit more again in this moment versus the story I'm telling myself about what's happening, right? Because in that moment, maybe I'm telling myself the story of this is obviously never going to get better. I'm always going to look this way. This is what this means for me. And just kind of like 
the point that Talene pointed out before of like, how can we even just catch those thoughts and know that, hey, am I able to see a future here? Or are my possibilities feeling limitless or limited? If they're feeling limited, I probably need to ground because I can't trust what I'm thinking right now, right? So I think that in the moment, that could be a really nice tool. But I think another breath thing I was thinking might be really nice for our listeners here are um, belly breathing. Um, mm-hmm. Because belly is so good for anxiety. It's like, because when we're anxious, we're breathing from our chest. Our breath is often very shallow. And something I like to do, it's like my personal little spa day moment if I'm having a really stressful day, is I'll put my legs up the wall, which is one of these yoga poses that I was thinking could be really great um, for anyone listening who maybe struggles with anxiety. This isn't an in-the-moment technique. I'm for sure not recommending like lay down like in the food store and like put their legs up, right? But um, if you can't go for it. Yeah, like by all means, uh, maybe there's a quiet part of Whole Foods or something, right? But you know, like if you are home and or at the end of a long day, I often do this, I'll create like a mini little spa moment for myself. So I'll often have lavender essential oil, because for me, that's a really calming oil, put on some music. I'll, so legs up the wall is really as simple as it sounds like you sort of like push up against the wall, kick your legs, so they're upright against the wall, and then you're kind of laying flat on your back. Um, while I'm in that pose, maybe again, with some lavender with my for me, it's my crystals and my plants, you know, the music going and then bringing my hands to my belly and just beginning to breathe, feeling my belly expand, pushing my hands away. And then as my belly falls, just feeling the belly fall down so that I'm redirecting that focus there. That can be such a nice technique to reverse that panic response. So yeah. that could be really helpful, like at the end of the day, for sure. Yeah. No, I really like that. I really like that. And I, I just go back to what you said earlier about name it to tame it. That's like a really um something I actually use personally too. Like, for example, if you're working or you're doing something and then anxiety comes in, like you're, you're having anxious thoughts, just naming those thoughts like, okay, that's anxiety right there. Just naming that right there kind of grounds you. It kind of like reminds you, okay, those are just anxious thoughts. And you kind of like it helps you get back into your groove, like whatever you were doing in the moment. Or if you were just having... Just like you're just having brain fog and you're just having random thoughts, just naming it. Oh, those are random thoughts. You know, things like that do really help. Like you said, naming it to tame it at the moment. Yeah, I really like then going back to like me and Nordstrom, I could have named it and tamed it and been like, okay, I have I'm I'm really shocked right now at how bad my skin is. And I'm going to be able to fix this if I take this more seriously. Clearly, it's worse than I thought because I didn't see it properly in the mirror in the dorms or something, you know, and that probably would have, you know, stopped me from like slingshotting into like panic and then remembering it like 10 years later because it was so bad. Yeah. And then uh, since you were talking about yoga poses, you you mentioned the one that people can do in Whole Foods if they want to, but are there (laughs) any... Any other uh, yoga poses that you would recommend like people can do at, at home doesn't have to be like, you know, in the moment too, but like at home, like at night or just in general, like, is there, are there ones you would recommend? Yeah. The other one I would really recommend is child's pose, Balasana. And that pose I love because it, to me, it almost feels like you're creating a mini home when you do the pose. And I like to do it restorative. So if anyone is familiar with the restorative yoga who listens it's amazing you could also just kind of google restorative yoga poses uh child's pose and you'll this one but restorative yoga essentially is different from regular yoga because it involves props so there's often like 
one of the main props is like a really big bolster, um, usually rectangular in shape, kind of like a pillow, but a little bit more sturdy, a little bit bigger. There's often yoga blankets that will come along with it or yoga blocks. But even if you don't have a bolster at home, I mean, you don't have to even do this pose restoratively. I just think it's really nice. You could definitely use a pillow or two pillows stacked. Um, And really what you do is like, if you have this pillow and you had it on the ground, you would sort of get close to the pillow. You could wrap your arms around the pillow, the pillow's on the ground. So you're now leaning over, wrapping your body around it. And then your knees are sort of splayed out wide. Um, So it ends up being kind of like a hip opening pose too. So yeah, so it's a really great pose for calming any kind of restorative pose because you're leaning on that support. Um, It really helps regulate the nervous system because there's a sense of being able to relax and settle into something that's outside of us. And I think Mm. that's nice for COS women too, because I mean, I think one of the wonderful things about this community is that people feel less alone, right? Like they're recognizing there's other people out there. But I imagine that maybe in the moment when you're looking at your acne, you're like, I'm the only one, (laughs) right? Maybe, especially if you're with a group of friends, right? I'm the only one who looks like this. Like what's wrong with me, right? I think that can so easily be on the tip of our tongue or our thoughts. And like, I think something that's nice about using a prop, like a pillow or a bolster, is that we sort of just feel like we're supported by something. You know, even if that's not a person, like the ground's always beneath our feet, right? Like there's a pillow, there's a chair, there's a, a the floor that's around me. Um, I think that can sometimes help people feel a little bit more settled too. I love that. I ha- I actually remember doing a restorative yoga class in college and it was really nice. And I never did it again. <laughs> and But I remember that feeling that you're describing right now. And the thing is like, now that I reflect on it, I was in like such a state of fight or flight because of PCOS and because of the hormones. And I didn't realize it. I didn't know that at all. There wasn't a lot of education around like fight or flight PCOS. Had I known, then I would have been like, I need restorative yoga. Like this is not just like, oh, it felt good. I'm not going to do it again. Like I should have made it a routine. So what do you think that women should do? Should we do it every night before bed? Should we do it when we have anxiety? Like what kind of, how do we incorporate this into our routine? I, yeah. And you know what? I love restorative yoga so much. It did like, for those listening, I don't know that I mentioned in this episode that I'm a yoga teacher, but I am. So I'm not just talking, (laughs) (laughs) but also I um, did additional training just in restorative yoga and yin yoga. Yin yoga is also really lovely, but I, what I like about the restorative is that I often tag it on to the end of the day for just five minutes. It almost feels easier to me to add to your day than a full practice because in restorative yoga, you usually are holding those poses for longer. And it sometimes it's only five poses for that entire hour because you are kind of laying and relaxing into them. So I like to add one pose onto the end of my day, especially if it was a hard day. Like if it's like, if I'm going through the day and I'm feeling really anxious and worked up, I'm like, I'm definitely doing that spa moment. The one I talked about, right? Where I'm probably going to grab my bolster, but also my oils and the music. And I'm probably going to lay there. But if you don't want to do all that, just one of those poses like child's pose, but also even legs up the wall that I mentioned earlier is considered a restorative pose. And if anybody at home wanted to make that even more restorative and they had a pillow or a bolster, they could put the pillow or bolster at the base of their spine so that they're bum is kind of like resting on it and then their legs are up the wall or Mm. they could put a blanket um on their feet and gently pull on the sides of the blanket so they're so the blanket strap draped over their feet and they're pulling gently on the sides of the blanket that can create a really nice grounded feeling 
But for sure, I think that could be a really nice way to add it. And if you can't somehow manage the the once a like at night kind of thing, maybe just once a week, like, hey, just one time this week, I'm going to sort of put this heaviness down and imagine that I could sort of just allow any of my stress to sink into the prop, into the bolster, into the floor and just be here. And it might be extremely uncomfortable, but over time you get used to learning how to slow your pace down like that, which is, I think, why restorative yoga is so valuable for anxiety and PCOS, because it helps us to activate that parasympathetic nervous system that rest and digest when we go into those poses yeah and what, I, what i love about that too is you don't have to kind of like for listeners like if you're already let's say in the evenings you like watching tv you like to have that relaxing moment maybe reading a book you can still incorporate this while you're doing that activity you don't have to feel like you're going out of like you're going out of your way and not enjoying the other things that you're trying to enjoy of course like i'm sure if you did it without the tv on it would be a bit more relaxing a bit more grounded but you know it's a way to get started, like while you're watching TV or like reading a book, something like that. You can apply apply these practices. Yeah, Sirat does stretches while he watches TV. And it's like mm-hmm. a great nightly wind down. We kind of glossed over the fact that doing stuff that takes you out of fight or flight mode is actually good for your hormones. Not only are you doing it for your mental health so you can, you know, get yourself together so you can manage your hormones and like do all the things you have to do. But just calming down is good for your hormones. And it may feel like you're fighting yourself to calm down because your hormones or estrogen or testosterone is like high. And maybe that's why I never went back to restorative yoga at the time, because it was so hard for me to just get in a place where I'm calm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like getting myself to go to restorative yoga was hard. When I was there, it was great. But because I was so used to fight or flight mode, getting myself there was hard. And I didn't realize that that was my problem. So I never went back. So I'm just saying for anyone who's listening, we get trapped in fight or flight mode. We accept it as normal. It's like really hard to calm the mind, tame the mind. It's going all over the place. But it's really important to like force yourself to lay down and do these movements, these breaths. Uh, breath work, put your legs up, read a book, calm down because it's going to help reduce your cortisol. And that cortisol stress hormone being high, well, if your body's so busy producing so much stress hormones, it's not going to produce progesterone, you know, the hormones necessary for you to ovulate and have a regular period, a pain-free period and get, you know, fertile and have a baby and all these things. So if you're overproducing stress hormones, your body's not going to prioritize the sex hormones necessary for our cycles. And so you'd be surprised like how much of an impact it has when you're actively trying to reduce your cortisol. And if you can't get yourself to like meditate yet, even going on a walk will burn that cortisol off. I was just reading about it last night and I was like, no wonder I lose so much weight when I walk because it's like burning off that cortisol hormone, which makes you retain weight um, and also stresses you out. But when you go on a walk, you'll burn it off. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you brought that up last night. You're like, mm-hmm. this explains why every time I incorporated that consistently, like the weight's coming off without even trying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was also saying how in the summer, because the weather's nice, I love to go out for a walk a lot more than winter. And I feel like I slim down in the summer. And I think it's because I'm reducing my cortisol. Yeah, for sure. And then before we go to, I want to uh, see if you um, uh, have heard of these devices. I mean, these are like kind of like advanced. I'm mean, not advanced, but like um, next level, next level stuff. But like, you know, like your HRV 
basically your heart rate variability is the amount of time between your your heartbeats. So that kind of relates to your parasympathetic nervous system. And there's like devices. I think one of them is called the parasym parasym. Well, it's a device like a, it's it almost looks like an iPod, and you and then it has like a wire that comes out of it. And with a little bit of a connection at the end, and you connect that to your ear, and that's mm-hmm. supposed to send a specific frequency to like your your vagus nerve and the rest mm-hmm. of your your nervous system to essentially like calm your parasympathetic nervous system down and increase your HRV and essentially make you like feel less nervous, make you feel less stressed, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a cool thing for people who like devices, for people who want to try things like that. Only thing is it's very expensive. Like I remember I looked up one that like uh is like the best of the best and it was $700. I was like, okay, maybe maybe I'll I'll wait on I'll wait on that, but just for Christmas. Yeah. I was going to say that. <laughs> Birthday? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, no I've heard of it, but um that sounds really cool. I yeah. mean, once you start and you realize that you need it so badly and it feels so good, you know, you're going to want these like devices. You want to incorporate all these habits, layer them, stack them into your lifestyle, your routine. It starts to feel like really important Mm -hmm. as part of your PCOS journey. It's not just diet and exercise. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I guess, uh, Lauren, you deserve a lunch break. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I, the listeners are always loving your tips. And these conversations are really helpful for so many sisters who are going through daily struggles with PCOS and with just men- mental issues or just the, you know dealing with the, the symptoms of PCOS. So we thank you again for always coming on and talking about this and just you know giving a glimpse into how it can be like with PCOS and managing your mental health. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for having me. It's always so lovely to be here and to be spreading some good good tips, good tricks, and just some honesty about how it can be tough, but we can also do hard things. You know, we can do this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks so much again, Lauren, for coming on this podcast. You're welcome. See you guys soon. See you next time. Bye. What if you had an app for PCOS that could tell you what to eat, when to work out, and how to track your goals every day? Introducing the Sisterhood app. Not only does the Sisterhood app give you access to the largest community of women with PCOS, but it also provides you with a daily PCOS plan. Your daily PCOS plan tells you exactly what to eat for each meal of the day. It's like having me as a dietitian in your pocket. It also sends you a notification when it's time to work out, and it provides step-by-step videos to help you reverse your biggest PCOS symptoms. You also get access to 100-plus gluten and dairy-free recipes, the 5 Steps to PCOS Weight Loss Masterclass, and a full PCOS-friendly workout library to choose from. But let's not forget the most crucial component of PCOS weight loss, the support. You're not alone. In the sisterhood, you become part of the largest community of PCOS women where you can chat with us in our private Facebook group. Sirak, myself, and your fellow sisters are in there every day to answer your questions and support you along the way. So what are you waiting for? You can head over to the App Store and search Sisterhood or click the link in the description to get started today. See you in there.